And so the last really five or six weeks, we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. And we kind of started in John. And John talks to his, um, John tells about Christ. And when he talks to the disciples and, and he said, I would ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. John also goes on to talk about Christ when he tells them, but it's best for you if I go away. Because if I don't, the counselor won't come. But if I do go away, he will come because I will send him to you. Goes into Acts chapter 1, where Jesus says to them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that you have been promised, that you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When you'll be baptized, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, right? Acts chapter 2. And it happens, right? It's been prophesied. It's been talked about. Acts chapter 2, it happens. And it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the house where they were at. They saw what seemed to be tongues of what? And it separated them. And they all began to speak in other languages, in other tongues, the Holy Spirit, right? So we're in this last week of this series on the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. So what I want to do is I want to talk today about the gift of tongues. And I want to talk about what it is and what the Bible actually says about it. But then I want to go into the anointing. And why the anointing breaks the yoke. Why the anointing is what matters. Why it's the anointing that has the power. I've heard people speak in other tongues but it had no anointing behind it. It takes the anointing, right? So let's talk about this and let's go to Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, go there with me today. We're going to look at verse 1. So like I said, we're going to talk about the tongues and we're going to look at the anointing and why we must position ourselves to be in place for this anointing. Acts chapter 2 verse number 1 says this, when they of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now they, meaning all the disciples... They were all together under one roof. And it goes, it says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, say, they saw these tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It goes on to say all of them. Now, I, I love that. I love because not a single person was left out. Every single person that came under the roof, that came because Jesus had asked them to be there. Every single, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So I want to start with that word, to be filled. What's it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We go back to week number one. And I know it's been a while since we've been there, but we looked at John when he said it's actually best for you if I go away so this spirit of truth can be in you. It is the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
this comforter. The Holy Spirit in that verse was called the, the um, paraclete, which means the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the guide, the intercessor, and said it's actually better for you if I go away because then this counselor, this guide, this paraclete won't be there with you. We go into week two after it said that you'll receive power. And we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to share Christ boldly, the power, the Spirit's power whenever you are weak. We looked at the power to have hope in a hopeless world. We looked at the power of the Holy Spirit so that it would allow us to know the completeness of God. We went into week three. We talked about hosting the presence of God. And boy, did we have an encounter with the Spirit that day. When we host him, his presence. And then last week, we looked at the power of the spiritual gifts. We looked at the gift of, um, of um, a prophecy, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift to serve, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, and on and on. We also talked about how through those gifts that the Holy Spirit can give the fruit of the Spirit, right? And Scripture said, now again, that these believers, the ones who believed in Him, the ones who believed in what He said, were filled with the Spirit. What kind of Spirit? The Scripture says, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. Amen. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Bible goes into Acts 2 and it talks about how they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And at that moment, things got a little bit tricky because they all didn't understand it at the time. They all didn't quite know what was going on. So they were in another um, passage in Acts 2 talks about how they were speaking in other human languages. And if you read on in this context here, it says that there were Jews from all over, over the world there that were saying, wait a minute, that's my language. You're, you're speaking my language. As a matter of fact, there was a story this past week at camp that the kids... Um, uh, the, the girl who came to spoke, Lynn Miller, she told of a story when she was on a mission trip and, and she was with the Navajo um, um, people and, and she didn't know Navajo. There was a translator with her that she, that had to basically translate what she said, but it came down to altar time and she went down and prayed in the spirit to these people. Well, after church was over, this, this, this guy came up and in his native language, said, when did you learn to speak Navajo? So the translator looked at her and she was like, I don't speak Navajo. And he was like, yes, you do. She was like, no, I don't. He, he was like, yes, you do. She was like, no, I really don't. And he said, no, when you were in the altar, you spoke my language and you told me exactly what I was going through and you told me that God was with me, that he was going to be there for me, that he was going to comfort me and he was going to help me. And I got up from that altar and I felt refreshed knowing that my God heard my prayer. Amen. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. When we're open and willing to be used by him. Right? Amen. So it makes sense when Scripture says that they heard their own languages. Amen. So we go on, and they were confused what the disciples were doing, so much so that they began to make fun. And they said, these guys must be drunk. They must be wasted, right? And Peter had to stand and say, no, they're not drunk. They're just filled with the Holy Spirit. It's only nine in the morning. 
And I promise you, they're not drunk. You may think they're drunk, but they're not drunk. They're just speaking in other tongues. They are filled with the Spirit and doing all these things that the Spirit would empower and lead them to do. So speaking in tongues was controversial back then because not everybody understood it. And 2,000 years later, we still try. We still see the same issues. If you're in certain circles within the Christian faith, some believe that it's real, some believe that it's not. And can I say this morning at the Southern Hills Church of God, if we are to believe every single word in this Bible to be God spoken to be true then we must believe everything in it and it talks about a very real a very powerful power of the holy spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues so if the bible says it we must believe it to be true so what does the bible say about speaking in tongues what do we know from god's word about this gift two big thoughts number one is this we learn very directly from Scripture that when someone speaks in tongues publicly, like in a service and things get quiet and somebody gives a message in tongues, that the Bible teaches us there must be an interpretation of that tongue. If the Holy Spirit moves somebody to speak in an unknown language, some call it the prayer language, but if there's ever a public speaking in tongues, the Bible says, and watch this, the Bible is very clear, and we'll have this passage up on the, the screen. It says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Very, very clear that there is an interpretation when a public speaking of, of tongues is given. In other words, if God has given you the gift of tongues, then you can pray in this gift in altars, but if you have a message that you're going to give in public, you must know that it is God speaking through you, because if it is, there will be an interpretation. Now, I've been in services before where there was a message given in tongues and something just didn't feel right. And I'm like, man, there's something off about this. Well, we'll just wait and see if there's an interpretation. And there wasn't. And the pastor was up in the front not knowing what to do, just holding a microphone, not knowing what to say. And then he would even say something like, well, if somebody in the house has an interpretation, feel free. And nobody spoke. No, no, nobody said anything. Let me tell you something. The Bible is clear. When you're speaking in tongues in that way, it is a message from God spoken to the church. It's not meant to confuse because God is not about that. He's about truth. He's about understanding. That's who he is. So there must be an interpretation. What else does, does it say? Why should there be an interpretation? Because the word says, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? Basically saying, will they not say these people are crazy? That's why it is important when you are talking about tongues, there is an interpretation to that tongue so that somebody who might not understand exactly what's going on can hear the message that God has for that church at that time. Because what's going to happen is if somebody comes in and doesn't understand what's going on, they're going to immediately discredit you and not hear the message as God would intend for you to hear. Paul says very very harshly that when someone speaks in tongues there should be an interpretation number two 
the Bible teaches us that speaking in tongues strengthens the person speaking, not the whole church. You say, Pastor, what's that mean? It means exactly that. The Bible says this, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Listen, it's very interesting to me that when Paul was talking to the Corinthians here, there was a lot of, um, of, of um, bickering going on between the people, especially about the spiritual gifts. So here we are a couple thousand years later. And we still have the same issue. So in chapter 12 last week, we learned about the gifts. Here we see two chapters later, Paul kind of explaining this. But, but there's a chapter right in the middle that's so important. And it's interesting to me that it talks about speaking in tongues with the fruit of the spirit of love. And watch what it says. It says this, if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, if you speak in tongues as men and angels, but have not love. You hearing me? You are only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Speaking to the Corinthians, you can hear the tension. And he's almost saying this, enough is enough. Don't focus so much on the gifts, but the giver of the gifts. And don't make me say this again. That's what he's saying. He's kind of getting on to them. You can hear this tension in his writing. And then he goes on to say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's a gift from God. It's valid. And then it goes on to say in verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five smart words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I'd rather do five words that the body could understand. Now, what would those five words be? I don't know. Maybe Jesus loves you a lot. <laughs> right? Those five words could be more powerful than a thousand words in tongue that somebody doesn't understand. So, speaking in tongues edifies the one speaking. But, so, but saying that, you say, um, um, a PC, do you believe in speaking in tongues? Do you think it's, it's meant for our church? you think we need this times? I cannot tell you enough. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's in the Bible. We believe it to be true. The only reason why I bring this up is because we need to understand the why. We've got to understand when it is appropriate and when it's maybe not of God, right? So because speaking in tongues can edify the person and can lift your spirit. I've seen people come to the altar broken and battered and bruised and they come up in their heavenly language and all of a sudden they leave lifted up, joyful, praise God, because why? It edifies themselves. It, it allows the spirit to do a work inside of them. It is needed and we should do it. But we need to know why. The speaking in tongues is a real thing, but let's talk about the anointing. Because I've heard people speak without the anointing, and it's just, I have seen, and I'll put myself in this, cat, in this category, less gifted public speakers be more powerful in their words than somebody who is gifted with their tongue. Simply because of the anointing. 
Because the Bible does not say that the gifts of the Spirit breaks the yoke. It does not say that the gift of tongues breaks the yoke. It does not say that somebody slain in the Spirit breaks the yoke. It says the anointing breaks the yoke. So I want to give you just a couple words here, and we're going to get into a passage of Scripture to talk about this anointing. The first word is pain, because we live in a world of pain. People are broken, they're bound, they're battered, they're bruised, and they need help and they need hope. What they need is the power of the Holy Spirit working through them. That's word number two. Because of the condition of this world, God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to loose those who are bound and heal those who are hurting and mend those who are bruised. And if this is happening in our midst, we are walking in the power of the Spirit. The problem is, though, word three, is that it's not happening on a regular basis. And because of this problem, word number four, and the problem of a lack of passion for the things of God. You see, there's a pathway for a double portion anointing for each of us. And, and I want us to look at some principles this morning that are needed in the lifeblood of this church and in your spiritual life that we must understand in order to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Kings chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go there with me. 2 Kings chapter 2. We need a generation of Elijah's. that are willing to seek after God to pass this mantle to a generation of Elishas. Second Kings chapter two, starting in verse number one, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to um, 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 Bethel, which literally means the house of God. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. As he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to, to um, Jericho. Company, the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance um, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. What a loaded question. What do you really want from me? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will be not. It will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot and horses appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, God! 
these chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took a hold of his garment, tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked, and when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over the company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. There's three words that I want you to see. That if we are to have this gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the gift of speaking in tongues, if we are to have this double portion anointing that is required to see that power of God working through us, there's three things that you must do. Number one, if you are taking notes, we must be determined to see God's presence. I'm not leaving until I get it. I'm right here until it comes. There's nothing in this life I want more than this double portion anointing. So I am determined that no matter what it takes, I am here until I receive it. The Bible says that through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. I don't know why that is, but I think it's God trying to test us. And to discipline us. You, you have to decide that you want to get into the kingdom. What is the kingdom, right? It's not heaven. It's the dimension where the reign of Jesus Christ becomes real and touches your life to the degree that you receive the appropriation of the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The kingdom is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I want to get to that place where Christ is reigning in me. If I'm ever going to get there, though, I must decide that I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship and I'm going to pray and I'm going to shout until breakthrough comes. I am determined that life will not pass me by without having an encounter with Jesus. I must have a move of God in my life. But notice this. Once you decide that, all hell's going to break loose. You will encounter problems that you never dreamed of. This, this happens to you since you'll pull back from the church and not commit to it anymore. You see burnout because we allow the heaviness of the problems to weigh us down and we don't ever get the relief that we can get through Christ. This is what the enemy wants to do to us if we don't push through. What we have to do is we have to make up our minds that we're going to press through regardless of what happens. This is a determination to not let go until that encounter comes. If you do nothing else, you had better pray. Every time you move into a deeper dimension, you will be attacked by the enemy every single time. That's why it's so important, church, to press in. And by pressing in, it means that you keep going regardless of what's going on around you. Because how many times, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself today, when things get good, right? Things are really going good. I feel the presence of God. I feel the Spirit of God. I am pressing in. And then all of a sudden, I have the worst week in my life. And now I have no desire to be in midweek church. I don't know if I want to be in church that next week because this is happening and that's happening. I've got to take care of this. Why do you think that happens? Because the enemy knows how powerful the anointing can be in your life. So he wants to do everything he can to wreck that. 
pressing in. It's through much tribulations you come into the kingdom of God. Listen, we must also never get casual. What the enemy wants is he wants you to get casual. Just come and go to church as you please. Pick up your Bible every once in a while and it's just relax, get casual. Too many pastors, too many leaders lose the anointing due to a casual relationship with God. The determination of Elisha is being tested right now. Because at every stop, Elijah's like, hey, stay here. Don't go on with me. Elisha knows what God spoke to him. He knows that this double portion anointing is coming. And he knows that he's only going to get it if he's with Elijah. So Elijah is testing the very determination in Elisha's heart by saying, hey, stay here. He's like, no, I will not stay. I am going with you. Why? You have something that I want. There's an anointing that I feel with you that I want with me. So I'm not leaving you. I am determined that no matter where, what it takes, no matter where it takes me, I'm going to get the anointing of God. The determination, this hunger, this thirst that needs to be quenched. Does anybody else see the determination of Elisha? Number two, we must be able to discern when to go and when to stay. And that's hard sometimes. Who was Elisha's teacher? Elijah. Who was Elisha supposed to listen to? Elijah. Did Elijah know that in order for Elisha to receive the double portion, he had to stay with him? Yes. Then why did he tell him to stay at Gilgal? Why did he tell him to stay at Bethel? Why did he tell him to stay at Jericho? Because he's testing the discernment that Elisha is having. Can you discern that maybe what you're saying isn't what I need to be doing? Can you discern that what God told you to do is what you should do regardless of what flesh says? If flesh says to do this and God says to do this, guess what I'm doing? What God said to do. He's testing the discernment in his heart. Because Elisha must begin to hear from God for himself. Even if somebody as impressive as Elijah thinks he ought to stay, he has to know for certain in his spirit that God is saying, go on. Keep pressing. Don't stop. Keep moving. But Elijah also understood this. That for this double portion anointing to stay, Elisha had to do more than just hear from Elijah. Elisha had to learn to hear from God for himself. Because if you're going to move in the fullness, in the completeness of what God has for you, you must be able to hear from God yourself. So there's a tension here. You have Elijah telling him to stay, and he's saying no. Is he still submitted to him? Yes. In fact, maybe more, even to a greater degree now. This is permission to hear God and to do what God says. Sir, I, I, I know what you're telling me to do. And I respect you. I love you. But again, man, I, you've got something I've got to have. So excuse me for a moment. If I don't listen to you, I've got to listen to God. And he's told me to keep going. Whatever God is calling you to do will ultimately lead you to a deeper respect for Him. 
So he gets to um, Bethel. And who meets him there? The prophets. The sons of the prophets. He says, God has shown us something. Glad to see you boys, but let's not tell them that I'm, that I'm on to their plan of trying to get me to stay. I'm just going to let this play out for just a little bit. Let's play along because something's about to happen. And I want to see the look on their faces when it happens, right? So Elijah had this mantle, which was typically passed from the dad to the oldest son. Jesus wore one of these. When the woman touched the hem of his garment, it was the corner of the tassel of his talier. When the Bible says to go into your closet and pray, it literally means to go into that holy place, to go into that private place. It is this mantle. It is this power, right? So they're in Gilgal, and Elijah stands up and says that God has called him to go to Bethel. Elisha, stay. What's he say? As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. I need this mantle. I need this, this, this power, right? So here's what they do. I need you to see this. Elijah and Elisha are headed on a trip that's um, 13.7 miles long. And about three to 4,000 feet up the mountain toward the west. They're going over the mountain and down the mountain to um, a Bethel. Before they rest, Elijah's going to turn to Elijah and say, I can't stay here. The Lord has just spoken, told me to go to Jericho. Well, if you look at your map, to get to Jericho, you've got to backtrack all the way to where you were to start with and then go more. So they go back up the mountain to another 1.7 miles from Gilgal where they started out. So now they've traveled 26.7 miles up and down the mountain twice. They barely sit down and he says, I can't stay here. The Lord is leading me to the Jordan. Elisha says, I won't leave you. So they go 6.5 more miles. So now they're at a total of 33.2 miles traveled. We've done it on foot and in one day. When they get to the Jordan, Elijah takes off this talier, rolls it up, hits the Jordan with his mantle. When he does, the waters part. He walks across on dry ground. They get on the other side. Elijah says to Elisha, why did you come? Now it's all coming out. He knows why he came. You've got to know he knew why he came. Right? He wanted the anointing. But he needed Elisha to know why he came. So he tested him during the entire trip. Traveled all this way to test the determination that he had to get there. And to test the discernment that he had that this is what God said. So he now he's there. And after all these miles of travel in one day, he asked the question which he could have asked from the very beginning. Right? He would have made this a lot easier and asked them at the very beginning of that day, hey, why are you going with me? But no, he waited till the end. He waited until he was tired and his feet were bloodied and he had calluses and, and um, blisters and, and when his calves hurt because he walked so much, right? He waited until then to say, why are you here? He says, because I need the anointing. Because you've got something that I want. Because I need it. Because it's the power. It's not that I'm, that I'm prideful about it. I'm not. I just want the glory of God to rest on me. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. So he says, you've asked the hard thing. But if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be so. But if you don't, it won't happen. And suddenly, a chariot, horses descend these spirit horses carrying spirit chariot driven by angels were in a spiritual dimension now. 
And both Elijah and Elisha are seeing this happen right before their very eyes. And Elijah gets taken up. And the cloak comes, comes down from the sky. And Elisha rips his clothes and wraps himself up in the mantle. He goes back to the Jordan, rolls it up, hits the Jordan. He says, where is the God of Elijah? I did what you asked me to do. And at that time, he struck it again. And the waters parted. And he crossed. And all those people that questioned him said, oh my gosh. The mantle that rested on Elijah now rests on Elisha. And they all bowed. Why didn't Elijah get a better routing plan? Right? I think about these things. That's weird, right? Why couldn't they have gone a different way? Because God wanted to test the boundaries. He wanted to push the limits. You see, sometimes we come to this altar looking for a miracle thinking that it's just going to be handed to us on a silver platter. This is for somebody today. And it's as if the Spirit is saying, how bad do you want it? How hard are you willing to work for it? Are you willing to dive into my word? Are you willing to get into your, to, to your prayer closet and pray? Are you willing to worship me even when life isn't convenient? How hard are you willing to work to see this mantle passed over to you so that you can see your miracle take place? How hard are you willing to work to see the anointing? I think I know why the routing plan was what it was. And if you'll bear with me just a couple of minutes, what happened at Gilgal? Joshua chapter 5, they crossed the Jordan and the Ark of the Covenant and they came and camped at Gilgal. The Jordan is now behind them 